This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mento LLC. Mento LLC Trade Consulting focuses on issues of duty minimization, recovery, and elimination, while also helping our clients with trade compliance issues of both the import and export nature and global cargo security. You can reach us at 978-317-3250 or email me directly at pete.mento at Mento LLC. From Washington, D.C., this is Trade Geek Podcast with your host, Pete Mento. Welcome back to the Trade Geek Podcast. I have have delivered everyone on my threat to bring Cindy Rosen onto the podcast. It was a threat indeed. So for those of you who have attended um, trade school over the past, hell, I don't know, six months or so, it has been Cindy that has been the Pete Wrangler. You have had the uh, the un the unenviable uh, task of having to put up with all of my crap and deal with me uh, for all of these months. But that is nothing at all about what you actually do. And I, I that's the reason I wanted to have you on. People are like, oh, Cindy does trade school with Pete. That is not even that. That's not even a, a tenth of a percent of a tenth of a percent of what your day is like. You have a very challenging life and a very challenging job and an interesting one at that from your command center in Boca Raton, Florida. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cindy. Thank you, Pete. Great to be with you. So I love to ask this question because no one does this on purpose. How the hell did you get mixed up in this stupid business? (laughs) Well, that that is an interesting one for me. I took somewhat of a uh, a different route than some folks, um, because my background originally was in the hotel and travel management industry. Okay. I got my degree in hospitality management at Georgia State University, and after changing majors several times, as my family is quick to uh, point out, um, but I wanted a degree that was, um, at least back in the 80s, as uh, was practical. I wanted to learn things that were not just a textbook. I wanted professors who were industry experts, not just PhDs, nothing against PhDs. Um, And so I I found the hospitality industry and in downtown Atlanta at that time at Georgia State University, the program was led by some spectacular uh, industry professionals. And it was, of course, the headquarters for Coca-Cola and for Marriott Hotels uh, had a huge presence. That was their test city. And so being in the hotel business and restaurant travel industry as a student, that was just the most fabulous place uh, to start off. And I I was in that business in uh, hotel sales and uh, director sales, regional director sales, corporate uh, offices, all different kinds of hotels. And I did that for more than 20 years. And I absolutely loved it. It was um, one of the least paying (laughs) industries out there. Uh, You know, and our professor upon graduation said, just remember, you're going to work at least 60 hours a week and your paycheck is going to reflect 40. Um, And never were truer words spoken, but it's truly an industry that you get into because you, you love it for everything that that it is. So I did that. And uh, as a part of that, associations were um, 
some of my top clients and those were the areas I focused on as far as uh, my responsibility of selling the hotels to associations to bring their conferences and meetings and trainings and things of that nature uh, to the hotels that I was working for. And uh, after about 20 years, I'd reached that stage in my life and industries change and, and a lot of the things that I loved about it uh, had shifted and I was looking at what would I do next. And my sister over that same period of time, one of my sisters, she was managing an association management company. Hmm. Uh, her company managed multiple trade and professional associations like TAPA. Um, and they were uh, handling, they were the one-stop shop. So associations, in order to become more nimble and effective and reduce overhead costs, they were moving their meeting planning and association management out of the in-house organization to take all that expense out of their, their organizations. And they were using association management companies that provided shared services. So the cost could be spread and it was very cost effective and very efficient. And my sister being the perfectionist that she is, um, we developed a, a very strong reputation. She called and said, hey, well, you know, until you figure out what you want to do, we're growing, we're taking on new clients, I need to add someone, but it's got to be someone I trust uh, to have the same level of uh, care for our customers as I do. Um, why don't you try it out? And that was about 10 or 11 years ago. And um, so that was kind of, you know, so my background was in security. I came into it from uh, the hotel industry and then association management. TAPA became one of our clients. TAPA, for those that don't know, it stands for the Transported Asset Protection Association. And um, they seemed really, they were, it was a very different association from the other ones that I was working with. I was <clears throat> managing a uh, associations that were made up of attorneys, others that were made up of professors and educators. And TAPA was just very different. And when I met them, uh, it was it was so refreshing. There were no politics, no uh, backstabbing, no, you know, it was people with a pure interest in serving their industry and their companies. And uh, so that's kind of how I started. Wow. So um, I would say that Tapa is full of a lot of really difficult, challenging people. And I am definitely on the spectrum of the more frustrating. So of the top 10 most frustrating of us, where would you put me in that time? Am, am, I, am, I, like, am I in the top five, top three? Because I, I know who the worst are. So I just want to know, like, out of everyone in Tapa that makes you want to strangle them, am I top 20, top 10? Where am I? You know, Pete, you're in a class of your own. Thank you. Thank you. You know, yeah. you yeah. broke the mold. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I hate to sound, you know, all Pollyannish and everything, but, um, you know, with Tapa, it's so, they're so unique. And having spent more than 20 years in the hotel industry, you come across, you know, if you've ever obviously been a, a guest in a hotel and had a bad experience or or something didn't meet your expectations yeah. you, you know that i came to the industry that i'm in now with 20 years of problem solving and dealing with a lot of you know customer support issues but tapa members it surprised me to be quite honest because they're 
they're all high level executives with a tremendous amount of pressure on them um, for their jobs and the amount of time their jobs take and pressure it puts them in and and to also manage you know families and you know internal company challenges plus things happening in the external world um you know the tap members i'm always shocked at at how they don't come across as stressed you know they're so easygoing and i think it's because they by nature and and by the fact that they've been in the business as long as they have um, they've had to learn to be adaptable and they've had to learn which stuff to sweat and which stuff not to sweat well, um, you're talking about a group of people that are normally being called because something went really bad exactly you know uh, and and a lot of them are former law enforcement many of them mm -hmm. have are lifelong security professionals and many of them are in, in their organizations, some of the most trusted people where they work. Absolutely. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're dealing with the most high end security, the, the most, the most difficult high end um, intellectual property. When something goes missing or, or, or something's been stolen, they're the people that get called first. So they're, right. they're trusted as much as any C-level, if they're not C-level executives themselves. What I love to tell people is I was a legitimate juvenile delinquent as a teenager. And um, I met Chuck, as you know, because he arrested me in high school. And that's not, <laughs> that's not a joke. I mean, the man right. was a police officer here in Manchester and a state trooper. And, um, you know, Chuck, Chuck and a lot of the guys like him, I go to TAPA meetings now and I'm surrounded by all of these dudes that are bone straight with their heads looking, you know, the military yeah. and all the rest of it. And they're the nicest, most dependable, trustworthy people. And I'm so honored to be surrounded by that. If I could call any of them and ask a favor, and I know they would never right. down, ever, ever. Yeah, that's really it. And that's where, you know, people are surprised when, you know, uh, they join Tappan, they've been members of other associations. And, you know, and, and I always tell folks, you know, it's unique that, you know, the, the association, it's made up of people that want to help each other. Yeah. You know, it truly is the best peer network of folks that are um, super willing to pick up the phone, take time out of their day, uh, like yourself, you know, which is how we first met, you know, um, that when you've got a problem, yes, they're high level executives, but they're also very smart when it comes to knowing what they don't know and knowing to ask for help. And I think some most times that gets lost in a lot of industries when folks reach that level of expertise in a field is, you know, they don't want to admit they don't know something. Yeah. And, you know, I think with the TAPA members, um, everything from our manufacturers, our logistics providers, our law enforcement folks, the government folks that are members, um, you know, everyone is the, the calls that I get most often are, here's my situation. I'm not sure how to handle this. Who can I, who, who can I call? And that's what we encourage from them too. So it's great when it happens, you know, my phone can never ring too much because that means we're accomplishing what we set out to do. And that's where you get a lot of, you know, the phone calls um, from our folks because, um, you know, I don't have all the answers, especially when it comes to security, but 
I do my damnedest to find somebody for them to talk to. And we have enough that we've created over the years uh, that want to collaborate on solutions for folks. Oh, well, uh, the, the general rule I tell anybody young that asks me, hey, Pete, give me some advice is never ever turn down a favor for somebody. So if someone right. that you are close with calls you up and TAP is a great example of that, where someone calls me up, Chuck calls me up, Alan calls me up, anybody calls me up and says, I need a favor, can you call somebody? You do it mm -hmm. because right. you're gonna need one too. Absolutely. And TAP is, is a place where, you know, if you could bill everyone for all the times you've done something for free, I'd be living in Maui right now. But <laughs> the, the reality is, is it, what makes it so successful is we depend on each other so much. And that's why it works. And the other thing I love about it is that because of that, we trust each other. So right. you, you can generally be a little more open about things that you mm -hmm. can be open about and right. know that um, you're not going to be, you're not going to be judged about things. You're going to get honest answers about things and people are going to give you the tough love when they need to, and also give you honest feedback when you need it. Absolutely. It's hard yeah. to find right now. So speaking yeah. of Tappa, just to mm -hmm. let people know that don't know, although I've interviewed so many people from TAP at this point. Um, first of all, how many other people work are actually salary drawing employees of TAPA? You're talking to her, Pete. That's what I thought. Yeah. So <laughs> you are you are the you are the air traffic controller slash uh presidente, El Presidente. Actually no, it wouldn't be L, would it? It would La Presidente. You are you are you are the the uh the grand poobah of everything. Everyone else is a volunteer, right? Yes, they are. And we're proud of that. Um, you know, of course, there's times when we've got projects and I'll contract someone out uh, through my organization to help with things. But 99% of the time, um, you know, I'm the only paid resource. I do uh, I'm one stop shop there, too. You know, I take the same mentality that if there's things that I don't know or can't handle, um, I've got my own network of folks that I reach out to. But with regard to TAPA, um, it's very much um, a volunteer-driven organization. We take great pride in that. That's important because we don't. We want our our mission in the industry to remain pure. Mm -hmm. We want it to remain transparent, and we want to be a member-driven organization uh, where every decision we make, the touchstone is. How does this serve our membership? How does this serve our industry? And how can we benchmark and pivot if this doesn't work? Yeah. And, you know, we ask that literally and verbally each time we enter into a new venture because we want to bring value. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm the only paid person. And my main goal as a paid person with an association management background is mostly from the standpoint of bringing something different to the table. Our members are the experts in the field. I am the expert when it comes to associations, IRS regulations, <laughs> guide laws, what can we do as a nonprofit? What can't we do? You know, things that keep us focused as an association. But definitely it's our membership and our board and our officers that drive the mission and, and drive the direction of the organization. You're the adult at the pizza party. <laughs> yes, I'm the one that collects the car keys. <laughs> yes, you are. And the checks, unfortunately. <clears throat> and I, the I, checks. I, like, I can't be a lot of fun either. Yeah. 
So when you're when you're not trying to keep this this herd of, of maligned middle-aged wackos in line, uh, I know you like to run. I do. Yeah, I living do. here in Florida, I imagine you get a lot of time to do that. But what else? Yeah. Do you, I mean, I've never asked you what else you do other than work and run. You, <laughs> you, you can't travel right now. You can't yeah, I can. Fun. You know, I love the beach, and I, I live five miles from the beach, so that's nice. Um, and uh, and love to play golf. Uh, don't get as much time for that right now as I'd like to. But I really enjoy the outdoors, and uh, and I'm I'm a voracious reader. I, I love love reading and learning. Always have ever since I was a kid. So, um, you know, anywhere outside that I can find a quiet spot to to read. Um, I know it's kind of a geeky answer, but you no, know, it's not it is trade geek. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> have you heard the legends of how terrible a golfer I am? I have not. Many yeah, legends yeah. I have heard, but that yeah. one I have. <laughs> this is a widely held uh, understanding amongst trade professionals that if you want a good laugh, I actually have driven golf balls on two occasions, 20 yards behind me and not on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Once, twice in the same game. I'm not, I'm not a good golfer. I'm terrible at it, nor do I enjoy playing. So I, I will complain and, and grouse about it the entire time. You actually enjoy doing it? I do. You know, when I was younger, I didn't, you know, when I, in, until I got into the hotel industry and my grandfather was, um, he was a scratch golfer. And in his day, he had won many tournaments and he, he was in the insurance business. And he said to me as a kid, he said, like it or not, you need to learn golf because more deals are done on the golf course than anywhere else. And I said, well, why is that? He said, because no other customers will give you four hours of dedicated time to sit next to them and have a conversation. And that stuck with me over the years. And being in the hotel business, that was very much uh, an activity I had to certainly not master. I mean, how many things can you do for 40 years and still suck? You know, <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. 10,000 hour rule does not work no, for golf. No. <laughs> so. no, I've been I've been drinking uh, bourbon for 40 years and I'm pretty damn good at it. So I. Yeah. I <laughs> things I can do with a client for four hours. Hell, I'll take them drinking in New Orleans. For yeah, I can get a whole lot done there. I'll keep you captive, all right. You just sitting right down there. Yeah, uh, you know, I, it's funny. I've got like three of my own businesses right now, and they're pretty much all been based on the fact that I bought a lot of people drinks with other people's money for sure. Started working on my own. And sure. My father is a hell of a golfer, and I'm terrible at it, and that always bothered him that it was not a gene that seemed to have been passed on to me. But yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm, I love sports and I've always I always was an athlete, but anything that I was meant to do was a sport that you either pushed, pulled or hit something with your body. <laughs> you know, like anything that it was supposed to come from my mind to a club and none of that made sense to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's come to the point in, in the in the podcast where I get to do my favorite part, which is okay. where I get to ask you three questions that have nothing to do with trade. Sound good. Are you ready? Probably not, but let's give it a go. Now you've listened to this podcast before, so you know. The yes, I'm subscribed and I'm addicted. Yeah, this is of, true. It kind of annoys me that this isn't coming from left field to you. But uh, the first question is always the one that I enjoy asking the most. And that is, what is the first job that you ever had? 
And do you remember what it paid you? And it has to be a job that gave you an actual paycheck. It can't be something under the table like babysitting or something silly like that. So what was the first job you ever had? Yeah, my first job um, was I was probably 14 and I was a camp counselor. Oh, good job. And I uh, did that for several years, actually. But uh, that was the first job that gave me a paycheck. And uh, I was paid, I still remember, $1.85 an hour oh. um, with the prospect of getting tips at the end of the summer. Oh, did you? Uh, yes. Parents were, were very gracious. Um, you know, a, a big tip back then was $20, you okay. know, so um, that was huge. Um, but how many so, tips did you get? Um, I'd say about 30. So, wow. you know, for the course of the summer, um, you know, I, the thing was, is I, I, both of my parents had been camp counselors when I was a kid so, uh, at sleepaway camp. And so um, it was very much part of my nature. I loved being outside and I loved all the sports and all the, the things about being a counselor. So that was great. And um, probably better than some of the subsequent jobs I had. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, if you were a camp counselor with a bunch of kids, the dealing with these TAPA idiots is probably a lot easier. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's probably not so bad. Yeah. All right. So that's, that's the first job. Um, so first question, second question, this is also one I've had some excellent answers. It's going to be mm -hmm. tough to beat a Del Chavale with his telephone truck, but first car you ever had, what was it? How'd you get it? What happened to it? First car I ever had remains my favorite car I ever had. Wow. I love it. It was a, it was my parents' 1974 Volkswagen Super Beetle. Oh, man. I know. And I got it uh, when I turned uh, 16. And uh, it already was on its second engine. So it was heading on about 150,000 miles when I got it. It was a four-speed light blue and i think and you'll correct me i'm sure if i'm wrong i think it was the last year that volkswagen made the super beetle i'm not um, sure so uh yeah that was it it was a, a four speed um my father bless his heart had the patience of a saint teaching me how to drive it uh he refused to let me learn on an automatic car mm -hmm. he said you know i needed to learn on the stick shift first uh, it was very much a non-intuitive gear shift yeah. uh, and all 60 cylinders or all 60, 60 uh, horsepower. horsepowers yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on that three cylinder. Yeah, 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 exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, it shook after, after you reached 50 miles an hour. Um, but I loved that car. My first Absolutely car was loved a 74 it. Volkswagen thing. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So similar. So did you yeah. have the reverse where you had to push down? Push down and pull back over, yeah. over and back. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember that too. Yeah. Which was, you know, those gear shifts and growing up in Georgia with the hills that we had, um, I can't tell you how many times I freaked out, you know, trying to shift gears at a stop sign on the top of a hill as I started to roll back. <laughs> did you figure it out? No, sure. see, that's the I know. point. That's that the became point. the joy. The yeah, challenge you got of really it. good at driving a stick <laughs> because you had that Super Beetle. That's a yeah. great car. And yeah. light blue. So there was like the light blue, the, the powder yellow, which is yeah. what my Volkswagen was. 
they made a clay red back then and that beautiful yes. pearl white that Volkswagen did back then. Yeah. I see those, those Beatles now, those 70s Beatles um, all the time, particularly in California. Yeah. And I think, man, what a great car. And then they go drive. Uh-huh. Man, I miss those cars. Yeah. I, I mean, I could say, change my own spark plugs on that thing. Oh, it was great. like, you there could work like, on your own engine. There yeah. was nothing to it. <laughs> 11 moving parts of that car, I think. Yeah. I always say that I'm going to buy an old micro bus and I'm going I'm to drive around Manchester and eat tacos. All right. Yeah. So third, third question. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the laws of physics and science did not hold its sway in this particular universe, and Uncle Pete had a magic wand and I could wave it and you could have any job, any job whatsoever, what would that job be? Wow. Um, I always wanted to be a novelist. Okay. I, I was I was very much into writing as a kid. And back then it was, you know, well, you got to have a real job. So, um, you know, it was something I always kept on the side. But yeah, I, I like the idea of storytelling. Why don't um, you do it? Yeah, you know, it, it's not like it's something I won't do one day. I mean, I've started several times, as many people have have done. And uh, yeah, I mean, it it's not without possibilities, for sure. I read a bunch of novels, and so. every publisher that reads them says, well, this is trash. So, yeah. you know, you need to at least write one and have it painfully rejected. Once exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I wrote my master's thesis. So. Yeah. <laughs> I had yeah. the experience being of being criticized and critiqued several times over. So. Uh, you, you, you should at least spend some time and sit down and everyone's got a story in them. Yeah. Know? Do For it. Sure. Go to the yeah. beach and bring your laptop and knock it out. And yeah. you can buy yourself a restored Resto Mod Super Beetle and take me for a ride in it. Yeah, I'm definitely one of those. I need complete quiet. I'm too easily distracted by external noises. And it's, you know, uh, so yeah, uh, I need to become a recluse up in the mountains for a few months. And, you I'm know, telling you right now, I'm moving to Molokai. I'm, yeah. I'm not kidding. I tell everyone that they think I'm crazy. I want to move to Molokai out yeah. in Hawaii. And I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to move there for four months out of the year and I will do stuff on zoom and phone mm-hmm. calls, but I'm not traveling because right. the pandemic has taught me how much I appreciate sleeping in my own bed every night. For so sure. After 150 nights every year, at least in hotels and um, being on planes, the non-distracted life would be good for me. And lately I've been listening to is the Hawaiian singer because he's oh, yeah. Hawaiian. So I put that in the background. I have no idea what he's saying. So it doesn't distract me. But recently I've been learning the words and I catch myself singing along while I'm writing for work. So I got to stop, maybe pick a new language. Maybe I'll start listening to Cuban uh, songs in the background. Yeah. Cindy, you are a joy to work with. And uh, I, need you to as say well, it, Pete. I need to say it. You, you, uh, you gave me an opportunity to bring trade school someplace when uh, everything fell apart at, uh, at, at uh, Crow. And I went out on my own, which was the terror of doing it was sad enough. And the fact that you gave me a safe place to land with it, I can never thank you enough. It was one it's of the kindest totally things. our pleasure. It was one of the kindest things that people have anyone's done for me in a very long time. So I will always owe you and everything that you have done for me since the kindnesses you have shown me and the wonderful things you've done for me, you got to firm for the rest of your life. So thank you for all the great things you've done for me and all the great things you do for Tappa and all of those absolute misfit toys that are there. We don't know how lucky they are. <laughs> And uh, I look forward to keeping up everything at uh, trade school with you and, you know, sunscreen and bring a good book and enjoy that time at the beach. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. See you soon. Thank you for everything. Bye.